This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter, joined as I am each and every week by the lone member of the Glory Kickboxing Hall of Fame, Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Hey, Joe, are they uh, adding any new members anytime soon from what you understand, or is it still going to be the Joe Show for a while? Well, I hope it's just the Joe Show. They can stop it there if they would like, but uh, I think it's a yearly thing. So I think every December they're going to add a new inductee. December. So, okay, so you still have time to milk this. So I still have some time. Yeah, we can we can still say the first for a little bit more. I'll always be the first, but no loan, loan for now, and then yes. first going forward after yes. after December. All right, we got to change that language, but we're good. Yeah, no, I think December. So there's going to be a lot of uh, good people to follow. So I'm excited who they pick next. All right, well, we've got UFC 273 on the horizon. Big card, two title fights, and. Uh, a fight that I think more people are excited about is the Gilbert burns Hamza Shemaya fight. We'll get to that in just a moment. Why don't we start at the top of the card, Joe? Alexander Volkanovsky, uh, according to the FanDuel odds, and I will say FanDuel odds as we were announced uh, as a partner of FanDuel's uh, this past week, minus 850. Uh, the comeback on the Korean Zombie, plus 540. Uh, pretty long odds for a title shot, but you know the featherweight division is very competitive. The Korean Zombie is certainly not a walkover. What do you think of this fight? Well, I was kind of surprised with the odds at first, and I think it keeps getting bigger and bigger for Volkanovski. I think you could have got him, if I was correct, at almost like when it first opened at like minus three, four hundred. And I think it's just getting a lot uh, bigger now. And I've seen minus seven hundred, so now minus eight hundred. So I think more people are just seeing Volkanovski as a favorite, which is the right thing. Dominant, strong, um, Korean zombie. Just I think he's. Made a name for himself with a, a good power style, good finishes early on in the career. But uh, I think Volkanovski is going to get it done. And if I'm going to bet on this one, which I probably will, I have to go with Volkanovski by finish. I think he gets it done in rounds three or four, potentially. How do you think he gets it done? If you, if you were to predict him getting a finish, and I know Volkanovski has talked about prioritizing that in this fight. What do you think is his most likely path to victory uh, inside the distance? I think he's going to do it on the feet. I think he's going to get it done with the striking. I think uh, his ability to level change, use his feints, create angles, throw the big power punch, uh, I think he gets it done on the feet. What say you? Well, you see, this fight's an interesting one. And you know me, Joe. I'm very optimistic when it comes to underdogs and, and giving yeah, them a chance. I mean, this division is just so competitive, right? Like, the Korean Zombie's an excellent fighter. And when you watch him hit pads on... UFC embedded or you know any of these UFC programs like you could sample that and make like music out of it. it's like boom 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 the guy's just a monster uh, but listen I believe Volkanovski is going to win the fight but I think these odds are way too long to really take any direction in this fight right like the only thing that I think there's real value on is like a Korean zombie KO prop I don't even know what that pays plus 900 like I mean if Korean zombie is going to win this fight that's probably how he's going to do it but He's also got some pretty sneaky submissions, but I mean, I think more often than not, Volkanovski wins this fight. I think he's the superior fighter. He's the younger fighter. He's the more well-rounded fighter. Mm-hmm. He has never lost at featherweight. Like, the list goes on for reasons to take Volkanovski, but at minus 850, to me, it's just a complete and utter pass. Yeah. Do you think he can get it done within the distance, or is it more of a decision play for you? Yeah, and that's kind of why it's a pass for me, is because, like, I think he can get it done inside the distance, but I think he more likely gets it done by decision, and that's why I don't like taking really either of those props, because the value isn't high enough, in my opinion, for either of them, and I I think that both are probably equally as likely, right? Like, what's the inside the distance prop for him? It's like, the the KO is plus 240, and then the decision is minus 140, but... I don't know. Is he going to knock out the Korean Zombie? How many times has the Korean Zombie been finished? He got finished by Yair with one second left in the fight. 
yeah. it's been finished prior to that at all? I mean, am I forgetting something here? No, you might be right. I just think Volkanovski, to me, is one of these dominant champions that we don't give uh, fully the f- enough credit for him, to be honest with you. I think I think eventually, I think within a couple of years, I think we're going to talk about him as one of the more dominant champs. Yeah, so he's got three KO losses. The The big one was the George Roop head kick KO. I forgot about that one back in 2010. Jeez. George, George Roop's a monster. Yeah, Tall, that guy was one of the huge. tallest in the division. Yeah, <laughs> he was like I a trained six foot two, forty five. I think it was Antonio was supposed to fight him at one point, and then I'm pretty sure Mitch Gagnon fought him as well. Fought and, the uh, Korean Zombie? No, it was a Roop. Oh, it was, Roop. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, it was Wallel Watson. Yeah, was, the Gazelle. Uh, one. Mitch. Yeah, and it was Antonio who was supposed to make his UFC debut against uh, Roop. So I remember teaching him some uh, tactics against taller fighters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hit them on the chin. That, that's probably the that's best. pretty a good yeah, one or the liver one. or the leg you know yeah see, that's it i should be a one coach really. it's easy yeah, stuff. it's simple yeah, yeah just hit the chin hit and the chin the guy's know, tall overhand have his chin. hands low and just nail him yeah boom that's it it's all it takes and then in the corner in between rounds i'd be like you're not following my advice that i gave you i yeah. said connect flush on the chin and knock him out follow the game plan hit him <laughs> come on just hit him there you, you go be a coach just that easy. with all you're watching now you, you could I think I could do okay. Yeah. I, I notice things. Yeah. You're confident. You're a speaker. You watch all your fights. You study well. You can do it. I think a lot of it is just outside the box thinking. I don't think there's a ton of outside the box thinking in, in MMA. Like, I think a lot of people do, you know, follow a pretty, you know, strict roadmap as opposed to kind of veering off the path here and there. It's like the thing I keep telling you about jazz music. I think that if you, like, got fighters to put headphones on and listen to jazz music and just kind of move with the music that you'd be able to teach them a lot of really unconventional, um, you know, a lot of unconventional movement that a lot of people wouldn't be used to seeing. But I don't know. What do I know? The other, the other yeah. KO losses, uh, Jose Aldo, he had, I remember Zombie had kind of pulled at his, his, I think he dislocated his shoulder during the fight. So that KO was uh, kind of a result of injury. And then, of course, the Yair Rodriguez won again, one second left. He got knocked out. So he has been finished three times in the past. Yeah, I mean, it'll be tough regardless. I think... Almost, maybe the play is uh, an over, like over so many rounds with him, knowing that still he's more durable. It's still not there. Not right. A lot of value. Right? So let's like, just enjoy the fight then. Yeah, like the round props, um, total rounds. What are the totals here? It's over under four and a half rounds. The over is minus one sixty eight, so they're expecting it to go to a decision. The under is plus one thirty two. Hmm. Yeah, tough one. Agreed. It's a tough one. All right, uh, let's take a look at the coming event. You've got Piotr Jan. Taking on Aljamain Sterling, the interim champion, is a minus 480 favorite over the champion, Sterling, who's plus 350. This is one that I'm looking to attack in a a pretty distinct way. Um, If you look at the uh, round bets, there's um, you you can bet Jan rounds 4-5 or by decision is minus 170. But can you get him round? You can get Jan in round 4, Jan in round 5. That's probably the way I'm going to look at it is... Um, th- those kind of round props for yeah. um, Piotr Jan. Yeah, I think it, I think if he gets it done, it'll be in those last two rounds for sure. And you get I good think... odds on that too. Like if you believe that that's the way it's going to go, you can um, you can really make it work uh, in that regard. I'm still trying to navigate how uh, how this works in terms of uh, FanDuel. Like they've got a lot of different odds here. Oh, okay, you can just pull them up like this. You can do all. All right. I'm usually I'm on best fight odds, and uh, that's the way that uh, I usually go with it. There's like how fight will end. There's a lot of interesting props actually on, um, on this particular 
book, but I'm looking at you know all drowned bedding. There's I'm trying to figure out how you what what you could look at for Jan winning um, in round five uh, or in round four. So I'll dig that up and uh, we can, we can take a look at that. Yeah, that's I'm, how I'm, I think it's gonna go. Yeah, I agree with you. I think Sterling could be. I, you know, Sterling could finish. He's a finisher. He's got a lot of finishes on his record. So, like, maybe, you know, hedge your bet a little bit and put a little bit on Al Jermaine getting it done, too. Because I can see, I mean, it's, you know, he's just one of those guys that is tricky with his submissions. People forget how, you know, he beat Sanhagen. So, I think he, he's still dangerous and still worth looking at. And also, if you look at that first round that uh, Sterling had against John, he, he fared pretty well early on. Like, you could make a case they won the first two rounds of that fight. Yeah, I think he just kind of exhausted himself through a lot of volume in those rounds. So I think that's why we'll see him a little bit more patient now. And But that's how we know Jan is, too. Jan's a calculator. He kind of um, inputs data as the fight goes on and continues to press. So I think the likeliness, like we said, is Jan getting it done possibly in four or five. But I wouldn't be surprised if Al Jameng um, surprises the world. And that's why I call him Piotr, the computer, Jan. Because that's, computer. How he, that's how he fights. There you go. He's yeah. always always looking to uh to get them. So Jan by TKO round four is plus a thousand. Jan by TKO round five is plus seventeen hundred. So I think that's likely how it ends up going if, if Jan does win inside the distance. Um I think this this fight could also go to a decision. I mean Jan yeah. by decision is plus one twenty five, but I don't see Jan getting a win in the early rounds here. Um, and Sterling, like you mentioned, very tricky fighter. Um, and that's why I think it'll take Jan a little bit of time to, to find his rhythm. And when I spoke to Aljamain this week, actually, I guess it was last week at this point, he was saying that on the day of the fight, and I'm sure you're going to love this as a coach, he threw the entire game plan out the window and just decided to, he said, gas pedal him, he called it. Basically, just put okay. his foot on the gas for the first three rounds and then just try to hang in there the final two rounds. He, he just thought he'd be able to overwhelm him with... Um, you know, with volume in the first couple of rounds and then win a decision that way. But uh, he said basically his weight cut, really his weight cut recovery, he said, went really poorly. He didn't eat enough the day of the fight and he just, he felt like he just didn't have enough gas in the tank during the fight. Yeah, who knows? I mean, only he knows at that point. I mean, um, I heard a little bit of... uh... Ray Longo talking about the fight, and he kind of said similar things. But, uh, yeah, I just think Aljamain's, you know, focused, motivated, good martial artist. I'm sure he's made the right adjustments. But uh, I think it's a little bit more about pacing yourself with Jan. I don't think that pedal-to-the-metal strategy against someone who we know, like you said, is the computer calculating things, that uh, I think more of a, a steadier, you know, pace would be the, the strategy for Sterling. Absolutely. Uh, Hamza Shemaya versus Gilbert Burns. This is the fight that everybody, I believe, wants to see the most on this card. If you look yeah. at the UFC countdown yeah. numbers on YouTube, like the main and co-main event have like 300,000, 400,000 views. This fight has 1.2 million. Like, yeah, of course. Yeah. The intrigue level is so high. And if you watch SportsCenter this week, myself and Robin Black, we had a bit of a debate about whether or not Hamza Shemaya is the best prospect we've ever seen in the UFC. And I said he is. Robin disagreed, but... Where do you stand on that? Before we touch on this fight, do you think that Hamza Shemaev is the best prospect we've ever seen in the UFC in terms of just sheer upside? Hmm, I think that's a tough question. I, I think it's it's tough because I don't think Shemaev has the resume to make him a huge prospect yet. You know, I think that's the one. Like, I mean, ten and zero is impressive. But with that's the kind finishes. of what makes you a prospect, right? Is like the unknown is what makes you a great prospect, and because he doesn't have the resume, 
I think the way that he won those first four UFC fights, absorbing only one significant strike in four fights in two different weight classes, like we've just never seen anything like that before. Yeah, I, I again, I mean, I don't think the opponents were very difficult for him at that point. I still think like someone like, I don't know, I'm just going to throw an example of someone like Anderson Silva. He came in with championships, you know, uh, different titles. We could even Cormier yeah, winning not a prospect the strike at that force. Point. I would think so. You're still in you're the under league, right? a major right? promotion? The big league? Yeah, it's, you're not in the UFC. It's like, hey, you were number one in the CFL, and now you go to the NFL, and you're number one in the NFL. Yeah, Strike Force is a little bit different. Like, Strike Force, if you look at the, the fighters that came out of Strike Force and ended up in the UFC when they basically merged, like, so many of them became champions. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think a prospect to me is someone that comes with a little bit more credentials um, than he does. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think it's just opinion at that point, but... I would think someone like, again, Anderson Silva, Daniel Cormier, those guys came in, you know, beating big names and then made the the big show. But from your definition of a prospect, yeah, I would say he's the top. I mean, how, win, who else would do yeah. and jump the way he did? Well, win or lose, I think after this fight, you stop calling him a prospect. He's now just a, either going to be a ranked fighter or he's going to be a title challenger, depending on the result of the fight. But I think that if he runs through Gilbert Burns in the way that he's run through these other opponents... You have to call him the greatest prospect ever. I mean, Gilbert Burns is the number two guy in the division. He's seven and one at welterweight since moving back to the divi- or since moving to that division. Fought for the title, won a round against Usman. I mean, if he can run through Burns in that same fashion, I mean, the sky's really the limit for this guy. Yeah, I mean, I think this one, like again, I don't know. I, you got to put Gilbert Burns as a top contender and stuff, but uh, I think there's other welterweights I'd like to see him tested against to see if he's going to be the great. I still, I, I'm still that person. I know I'm, t- I'm speaking as a purist, but as a businessman, yes, he wins this fight. He goes to fight Usman, but I still think one more to really test him in my books, like a Colby Covington. I, I, I mean, something like that to me would be the test before the title. Yeah, it could happen. I mean, we don't know what Usman's timetable for recovery is from his hand surgery, so we'll have to see what ends up happening after this fight. I mean. The expectation was that Usman was going to fight Edwards in the summer, and from what I'm hearing, that might not be the case. It might it might get postponed, and you might end up having Edwards uh, facing somebody different. Could end up being Burns, could be Chemayev, could be Kobe Covington, who knows? But uh, I, I don't know how it's going to play out right now at welterweight. All I do know is that should Shemaev win this weekend, again, in, in that kind of dominant fashion, I think he's like undisputedly the greatest prospect we've ever seen in the UFC for him to come out and do something like that to somebody who's as good as Gilbert Burns. Yeah, and remember we compared other entries to the UFC, like Conor McGregor. Was Conor McGregor a prospect too, or was he Yeah, more... I'd say he was. He was a two-division champion in Cage Warriors, but we're talking regional promotion here. Okay, what about uh, John Alex Jones, Pereira? I think, is the other one you really got to talk about. Yeah, Pereira, Alex Pereira, or just kickboxing credentials? I don't know if I call him a prospect at his age. Like, he's, what, 34 or something? 33? Yeah, it's hard to call someone a prospect. The same with Anderson Silva when he joined the UFC. He was, like, 30 yeah. or 31, right? Like, is he coming in, too, I guess, a little older? Yeah. And Izzy had, what, 19 fights under his belt, I think, when he joined the UFC, something along those lines? Yeah. Uh, no, I think less than that, but uh, I would close. still consider Israel a prospect when he entered the UFC, though. Even though he had the kickboxing credentials, it's just... You're transitioning from another sport. He was still in his 20s. And I think that there's a certain criteria that I, I... Maybe I've invented this criteria of what I would consider to be a prospect. Yeah, no, I mean, a prospect is someone 
new, but I, I would just think of someone new to the organization um, would be that prospect. But yeah, but from the definition of coming from a local scene, only 10 fights, never seen a third round before, only getting hit once in four, yeah, four fights. Like, yeah, you kind of have to say, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty damn impressive. Like I said, okay, I'm going to put myself on a pedestal. My fifth fight, I fought for a world title, just saying. And I won the world title on my fifth fight in the promotion. So I went from never what he did basically now, it'd be me fighting for a world title. So if he wins this one and gets his world title shot, he wins, and then he gets my credit. So I should basically can compare him to Bazooka Joe Valtellini going forward. Like this guy came out of nowhere, big That's big it. time prospect, rose yeah. to the uh, ranks of champion con- championship contender after four fights. Yeah, I got that one loss, but hey, maybe we'll see. But yeah, no, he's uh, <laughs> yeah, but that loss he, had elbows. That was there. BS. Oh yeah, no, but I lost to Holtzkin too, right? Yeah, that's true. So I Holtzkin took a bad Holtzkin. L recently. I saw him at uh, one championship. Yeah, he got knocked that out. That was a bad yeah. KO. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of like it was. She showed a little bit of inexperience, you know, like when I fought Holtzkin, he was Mr. Technician. He would have never opened up in mid-range like that. And next thing you know, that's what I did against him. I got excited with the last 10 seconds and I opened up in mid-range. He kind of did the same thing, you know, so many years later. He's, he fought a little bit uh, amateurish in that fight. Hamza Shumai is a minus 550 favorite against Gilbert Burns, who's a near 4-1 to one underdog. I mean, those odds are very long considering the, the credentials here. How do you see this fight playing? Let me hear it. Does he get a finish? Is Gilbert going to be good enough to be able to hold him off him? Is is the striking going to maybe be the difference? I, I, I kind of think it might be the striking we see in this fight. I don't think I this th- fight gets to the third round. Who wins? I mean, I, th- I would say Shemaev, you know, possibly. But again, I, I, I it makes it so difficult for me. I'm trying to make my picks this week for TSN Edge. And these three fights at the top are a nightmare. Because there are yeah. so many outcomes that can happen. The odds are so long that there's no value. The, the people that are favored are the ones who I think are probably going to win. And that's why they're favored to such an extent. But you still have to look at value. And I don't know how much value there is on a guy like the Korean Zombie. Even though I think he can win that fight. And I think Sterling can win the fight. And I certainly think Burns can win the fight. But I just can't recommend these underdogs if I don't think they're going to win. Right? Like, value is value. But I, I just... So it makes it very difficult for me to pick. And I also think that there are so many just different variances of outcomes that can happen in these fights. Yeah. Well, what is your heart saying outside of the betting book? All right. So let me I'll, – I'll go fight by fight. Scrap, I, yeah, scrap the if bet, I, If scrap I'm just making right now. predictions. Yeah. Forget the I numbers. I prediction and way of finish because uh, picking a winner right now is too easy. I think Volk wins by decision. Okay. I think that Jan wins by late KO, fourth or fifth round. I like it. I think that – Chimaev wins by second round KO, ground and pound. I see that. Yeah, I like I like second or third for Chimaev if he gets it done. That's why I'm kind of saying like I don't know if is it Burns isn't the true test for him or is Chimaev that good? Well, that's what we're gonna you find out, right? I mean? I mean, Burns. That's is, that's the question. Burns is an incredible fighter, right? So if Shamayev is able to beat Burns, he's a legit title challenger in my mind. I don't think he needs to fight anybody else. I think that if you beat Burns. And you, if he's able to beat Burns in like pretty impressive fashion, he should for sure get the next title shot. And not only that, he should be considered for a middleweight title shot soon. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's talking Shamayev's size being that much. You, you think he's that big of a welterweight compared to a lot of the other guys in the division? Not necessarily. I mean, I think he's, a, I think he's a, definitely a bigger welterweight. But when you, when you saw him in there with these guys, like he's not towering over them. 
But uh, you saw him in there with with Gerald Mearshart, who to me is like the prototypical middleweight at 185 pounds. Like, yeah. I think he'd be a small 205er, and there's not a chance he can make 170. Yeah, yeah I think I that he looked pretty close in size to Gerald Mearshart, which means that he's probably closer to a middleweight than a welterweight, but his ability to cut the welterweight makes him such a dangerous fighter. And I think Usman also is probably walks around at a weight that's probably more similar to a middleweight than, than to a welterweight. I think he's probably walking around at two bills plus. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, he looks super lean, though, from all the videos and all the training. He's putting in all that extra work. It's Who, Chimaev I'm or excited. Usman? Yeah, no, Chimaev. Yeah. I mean, I've seen Usman. Uh, I've seen Burns do it, too. But Chimaev's looking great. His conditioning, the way he's pushing. I think that uh, his connection with Darren Till has been pretty cool to watch the two of them kind of connect together. And I just think uh, he, it's all to him. It's all mental, man. I don't, I don't care how good technically he is he believes he's the best and he performs that way he breathes that way he eats that way like he's the best and he's got the mindset of uh you know one of the best and i think if he keeps that strong mindset that's that's his keys well i'm speaking with him later today and you touched on something that i really plan on asking him which is do you have any worries going into this fight like is there anything about this fight that you know keeps you awake at night and I just don't like, I think that this guy's, like you mentioned, his brain, his mind is just so, the, the level of confidence in himself is so high. You hear t- fighters talk about their vulnerabilities and what they're worried about going into fights. Like, I just, I don't, I, I'm not convinced that this guy has any concerns. Yeah, he doesn't speak like he has any. He just, everything is pure confidence coming out of his mouth. And a lot of fighters, they, they talk that way. They talk the big talk, but deep inside you see those moments of nerves you see them biting their nails you see them you know pacing a little bit more i genuinely think he believes everything that comes out of his mouth and i think he has to i mean he's got a team around him that believes in him everyone around him talks so highly of him that he just walks around believing it and living it so that's that to me is the most impressive thing with him is how strong his mindset is is invincible in his mind you have to be yeah, so I, I'm very curious to see how this ends up playing out because I think it's just such a cool fight. It's it's one of those ones where it's like he's being thrown right into the deep end, and that's what makes it so interesting. It's like imagine somebody getting thrown into the deep end, and you like it's a sink or swim situation. Yeah, that's it. And you, yeah. there, there's a referee there to save them if they start to sink. But I mean, like that's what this is. Like this is this is no joke. This fight in terms of the the step up in competition. Like Li Xing Leng is an awesome fighter. Don't get me wrong, but he's not a top 10 welterweight. No. This is a top three welterweight. And welterweight is one of the toughest divisions in the sport right now. Yeah, I, I, I'm almost at the point where it's like, do we give him those tough, you know, Kobe's or... I'm more into like let's let's throw him in, like as deep as we can into this ocean, you know. Like let's give him Usman followed right by Izzy. Like I either want to see him get tested or just take those big monster fights right away. Like I kind of want to see him go one or the other way. There's no don't slow play. It's either all in or you give him the biggest test that he can. Yeah, and that's what they're doing here. I like. I think that uh, it's the biggest test at this stage in his career. Like, I don't think that they would have pushed him right to a title shot. But, I mean, again, that's why I'm so eager to see what happens here. Because, like, we know that this guy is good. But we don't, we don't know just how good he is. <laughs> that's kind yeah, of what we're going to yeah. find out. And I think that's what's so intriguing. Yeah, and I think the, the other thing why 
you know, Burns is is a good opponent for him because one, we know how powerful he is on the feet. You know, he can crack, he can knock you out with his power punches, and he's a world class BJJ practitioner. So like, he can do it well everywhere. I wouldn't say I'd say Burns maybe more of a specialist on the ground than he is on the feet, but uh, I would say fairly well rounded. You know, and that's what, how people look at Shamayev: good on the feet, good grappling, good wall control, the way he positions you on the wall, fantastic. So. It's, it's interesting. Mackenzie Dern's a minus 128 favorite. Tisha Torres plus 104. Uh, an interesting one here because I think that if Dern can somehow get this to the ground, this fight's over. But we also saw how Dern had a lot of trouble with a striker like Marina Rodriguez. And I think that Tisha Torres has some similarities there. I mean, she's not as rangy, which I think is going to be the disadvantage that Torres has if she implements a similar game plan to what Rodriguez did against Dern. But I, I think that uh, Dern... Yeah, sorry, am I talking? Am I thinking of the right person? Well, she, Dern fought Hebas, but who? Am I thinking of the right fight here? No, it would have been Rodriguez. Rodriguez is a, is a one fifteener. So um, yeah, so I think that in this particular fight, if Dern can get you know close the distance, I think that there's a good chance that she's going to find a finish in this fight. But I think that if this stays on the feet and Torres is able to evade the grappling, I think it's Torres's fight to lose. Yeah, I. I, I... Again, wasn't overly impressed, if I'm remembering right, of Dern's last fight. I, I remember her only having one option, really, right? She didn't really have uh, the option to be able to close the difference, the distance in different ways. I think Tisha, if she can kind of move her feet well and not make it easy for Dern to get in and close the distance, I, I think Tisha gets it done. I mean, I, I think... Dern's boxing is yes her striking's improving but if she can't get in and people are reading her entries and, and makes it hard for her to come in I think she becomes very predictable at some point uh, and I, I I have a good feeling uh, that Tisha Torres can get it done yeah I, I personally am just leaning I, I'm leaning Dern because I think that Dern even if the, this fight is on the feet I don't think she's gonna be a total fish out of water I think that there, there's two good comparisons for previous opponents that Dern has fought that are similar to Tisha. And I think it's her last two opponents. I think it's Marina Rodriguez and Nina Nunes. And against Nina Nunes, she was able to get a takedown and find a sub. Um, but against Rodriguez, Rodriguez was able to keep her a distance for five rounds and pick her apart. I just don't think that distance is really, like distance and distance management is really Tisha Torres' strong suit. I think that her, her ability to keep an opponent at distance when she has such little reach is going to be the issue for her here. And I think that Duran at some point is going to be able to capitalize. Yeah, I mean, if... I know Tisha works with uh, one of my friends in the striking world, Jay Ho, Justin Houghton. And, uh, but if I'm Tisha, I'm teaching her fainting, movement, you know, a lot of calf kicking to kind of slow down that movement and the boxing because Dern's going to box more, especially working with Jason Perillo. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just have this weird gut feeling uh, Torres gets it done. Yeah, I guess we uh, we will find out. Uh, Dern inside the distance is uh, plus 185. So um, I might be looking at that as one of my plays. Or I might just take Dern straight up at minus 128. We'll see. Because, I mean, the, in this division, fights often go to a decision. Uh, final fight of the main card. You've got uh, Vince Pichel at minus 144. Mark Madsen plus 118. Um, interesting matchup. Vince Pichel has... Uh, he just continues to just win fights that's what this guy's good at he's good at finding ways to win fights and against an older guy like mark madsen who's somewhat one-dimensional i'd probably lean vince michelle but i don't have a strong enough read on it to, to really uh make a, a solid pick yeah I'm, I'm with you i'm just more curious what background vink v-i-n-c vince michelle 
Is it an E or it, it's did UFC sense. miss the E? You're wondering what his background is? Oh, I yeah. guess his his first name is Vincent. So I don't know why he doesn't put the E in there. Uh, just Vince, I guess. Yeah, just put Vince. Yeah. Yeah. So I All guess, right. Yeah. I always look at him as uh, because of the stash, Mini Dan Severn. Mm-hmm. That's how I know him as Mini Dan. It's starting to look a bit like Cub Swanson as well. Yeah. Cub Swanson with that stash. I was like, it's somebody else. It's Yes, Cub Swanson with a stash. I like it. That's a good good analogy. All right, let's hit the prelims. Uh, let's start off uh, with the main event of the prelims. Ian Gary, the prospect, minus 385. Darian Weeks, plus 290. Uh, I think that this is a fight that they are basically putting uh, Gary in for him to look good. Yeah, I agree, and uh, he's going to look good as well. He uh, he actually uses the same suit guy that I use here from Toronto. So my suit guy made his wedding suit and his debut suit for the What's UFC. What's the guy's so name? He's going to look good. Chinadu. Okay. CE Clothiers. Yeah. I was thinking of the guy who does Bruce Buffer suits. Uh, no, he's from Toronto too, apparently. Mm-hmm. Is, yes. But my guy Chinadu, he uh, he does our suits, so he's going to look fly doing it too. All right, there so you go. I'm riding with Ian. You have to make an intro with uh, myself and uh, and Mr. Chinadu. Yeah, there you go. That's an easy one. He came to visit me yesterday. Nice. Oh, he came to the gym? Yeah, he comes by all the time. Nice. All right. Where's he based? Scarborough? Uh, yeah, yeah. More in Scarborough. Nice. So. All right. Perfect. Ian Gary is a uh, – to win by KO is plus 125. But I think this fight can end in a variety of ways. It's another one of those ones that's tough to pick where I'll probably just be having Gary in some parlays because I'm not exactly sh- sure how he wins this fight. Although – the inside the distance prop might be a good way of looking at it too, if you just take him inside the distance. And I, I've listened to, I believe it was Michael Bisping talking about uh, the potential of the UK fighters, and the question always comes up is who from the UK do they see the next, you know, winner, you know, of uh, you know of a belt or to fight for a title? And I believe he said Ian Gary. He said Aspinall last the, time I heard. Maybe he's changing his answers all the time, so they always look right. I heard Ian Gary, but it should be Aspinall in my mind after those performances. But um, apparently a lot of hype behind Ian Gary training at Sanford MMA as well. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. Only a second fight, but a lot of talk behind him. Although I, I will say that he's, uh, he's not from the UK. He's from Ireland. So I will correct you there. I, I, remember, I remember that. And the reason why I'll correct you is because he corrected me when I mentioned that he was – I thought he was British, but he's, uh, he's Irish. So. Yeah, I remember the same conversation we had, and you corrected me again. So yeah. thank you. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll one day get it right. We, got, we don't want to offend the the Irish here. The Ireland is a is a, an independent country. Okay, sorry, Ireland. My apologies. Unless you're talking about Northern Ireland, which is part of the UK. Yeah. Okay. Which I believe uh, so is we where, have to know where he's from. Then I think Ross yeah. Pearson's from North. There was a fighter from Northern Ireland in the UFC at some point, and maybe it wasn't Ross Pearson. It was someone else. Either way, Jarzinho Rosenstrike. Minus 158, Marcin Tybura, plus 128. I'll probably just take the Rosenstroik KO prop here um, and, and call it a day. I mean, the KO prop is plus, or uh, what, what's the KO prop here? Uh, the inside the distance is plus 100, but Rosenstroik by KO is uh, plus 115. I'll probably just take that. Yeah, it's worth it. I, I I honestly was surprised this wasn't the first fight of the the pay per view card. That would have been a nice opener to get some big heavyweights going. Yeah, not a bad idea. I don't know what the rhyme or reason is for why they decide to do these a certain way. But um, another thing I might look at though is Tybura by submission is plus fifteen hundred. Like, eh, I might just take him. I might take that as a flyer <laughs> on top of Rosenstrike by KO because plus fifteen hundred for a guy who's won six fights at heavyweight by submission. Um, and if he takes 
Rosenstroke down, like, I think he could find a, a submission there, except he hasn't had a submission yeah. win in some time, so who knows. What about that Tybora? He, does he, get, he doesn't really get finished often, does he? These usually losses are decisions, if I remember correctly. Tybura lost by KO to Augusto Sakai, Anthony Shamil Abdurakhimov, and Derek Lewis in the Oh, UFC. so he does like to get finished. And he got finished uh, right. also at, uh, in M1 in 2015. So he's been finished four times uh, by KO. He's never been subbed. And he's only lost three decisions because usually when it goes to the scorecards, he's out-wrestled his opponent and made their life miserable. All right. Well, Rosenstruck is a kickboxer, so, yeah, the submission prop could be live. Mm-hmm. You can't go against the fraternity, though, Joe. They gotta stick, no, stick I can't. That's why I'm not saying nothing. I'm just saying he's a kickboxer, and I will not go against the fraternity. Believe me, I will never do that. Rocky P, Raquel Pennington, minus 192. Aspen Lab, plus 154. This is an interesting line to me because Pennington took this fight on sh- is taking this on short notice. Ladd is still a solid prospect, but like I think a lot of people are reading into her loss to Norma Dumont, who was, I think, a much bigger fighter than, than Aspen Ladd is, even though a lot of people think Ladd should move up. Um, she's going back to 35 here. We'll see how the uh, weight cut goes. It seems like it's always something is going on whenever Ladd cuts weight and, and gets on the scale, but uh, we'll know more about that on Friday. But uh, I, think, I think the odds are a little bit long here, in my opinion, for Pennington. I would probably lean Ladd for the value. Really? Yeah, I mean... I, I kind of like Raquel by decision on this one, but Lad's uh, she's good. She's t- she's tough. She knows how to use her range well, so yeah, she can easily get it done as well. Lad by decision is plus two sixty. I might be taking a look at that, but Lad's also a decent finisher. So I don't know. I, I, that, this one I'm not officially picking at this point in time. Like I, I just would lean Lad for at that price, but not one that I'm. Uh, you know, gonna take take out a second mortgage for uh, Mike Malott minus two ten, Mickey Gall plus one sixty eight. A solid matchup here. The first UFC fight for the Canadian Mike Malott. Yeah, I don't know much about Mike Malott, but I'm excited to see him work. I remember you bringing up him having a good debut with the Contender Series, I believe. Yeah, had a great day. He finished his opponent in less than a minute, but I think he's also the grappling coach or wrestling coach at Team Alpha Male. So he's okay. he's moving around with a lot of the best. And I know he's been back uh, in Canada training at Niagara Top Team for a little bit with some of those guys. So yeah, um, he'll and be I think he's with uh, Alin Halmagen too. Okay, Kruelin that they call. I know he's uh, working the mitts. Kruelin is there with him right now because I follow him. So that's how I know they're together. So yeah, he's been in good hands it seems. So Mickey Gall though I think is tough and really underrated. I think Mickey Gall is an underrated type of fighter. I think he's dangerous in all aspects. He came in very early to the UFC, you know, made his name with the CM Punk fight. But I still think he developed in the deep end, as we keep saying on this show. Like, I feel like he didn't really have time to develop outside. There's an interesting prop on FanDuel. Fight ends by submission is plus 165, and that's for either fighter. That's That's probably what I would take in this fight. Yeah, I mean, Mickey Gall can sneak something out. Uh, like I said, I don't know much about Mike, but we'll find Mike's out. Mike's a fantastic grappler, right? So, I mean, I think that m- more often than not, if you're going to choose a me- uh, method of victory, I think that that's probably the way that this one ends. Um, I'm not sure. I-, I don't believe we'll see a KO. I think we'll probably see a sub. Uh, Jared Vandera, minus 106. Alexei Olenek, minus 114. I like the Olenek side here. That'll be one of my TSN Edge recommended plays. Short notice fight for Vandera. I know he doesn't need to cut weight or anything since it's heavyweight, but... Olenek is just so uh, crafty. And I think that even if this is on the feet, I don't think he's at a disadvantage. So I'm going to take the uh, the elder statesman, Alexei Olenek. Yeah, and Olenek is just, I don't know. To me, it's very slow, 
predictable, like, but he gets it done. Like, I mean, it's just he's so durable, so strong, and he just, I don't know, it surprises uh, with his age that he gets it done, and, but he's still doing it. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with him here. I think that the uh, the odds should be much bigger in his favor. Uh, Anthony Hernandez taking on newcomer Josh Fremd. Uh, Hernandez minus two ten, Fremd plus one sixty eight. I believe Fremd was a champion on the regional scene with uh, one of the major regional promotions like LFA or something along those lines. I'll I'll pull that up. But uh, do you have any anything to say about this one? I don't know either of them, so no, I don't have Anthony any Anthony Hernandez insight. is the guy who submitted Rodolfo Vieira, exhausted him. Do you remember that? He Rodolfo oh, Vieira yeah, like yeah, the world class yeah. BJJ guy. Okay, yeah. I just don't remember him having that many tattoos when he did it, but I guess he did. So kind of looks like Sugar Sugar Sean there with all those tats and colors. Uh, Fremd fought for the vacant middleweight championship and lost. So against Gregory Rodriguez, who's now in the UFC, but uh, solid fighter. Nice to see him get a, a ticket to the uh, UFC. He's 28 years of age. Uh, solid fighter. I think it's honestly dogger path. I think Fremd is a solid fighter, but uh, I, I won't be touching that. Uh, Piero Rodriguez minus 128. K Hansen plus 104. Um, Hanson recently lost to Jasmine Jasadavicius earlier yeah. this year. Uh, Piero Rodriguez uh, looked fantastic on the Contender Series. But Kay Hansen's a solid prospect. This is kind of a, a tough one to call as well. Yeah, I mean, just like you said, watching Hanson with her fight with Jazzy, she's got good potential, so we'll see how she bounces back. You can get fight uh, ends, uh, fight goes to a decision at minus 172 goes the distance um and i wouldn't i wouldn't be opposed to parlaying that i think that is a a, a relatively safe bet um and finally first fight on the card julio arce taking on daniel willie cat santos uh Willy santos cat. is a solid fighter julio arce lost his last fight so i think it took away some of his luster but i think that at bantamweight julio arce is going to be a tough out um I, I can understand why he's minus 200 here yeah i mean my biggest question is what's a willie cat what is a willy cat? What is a willy cat? Look it up right now. It's a great question. All right. It's good yeah, to know I these mean, kind is, of things. Yeah, I don't. I, I know what. It, I don't know. Um, what would you guess a willy cat? I don't is? know, but if you look up willy cat, the only thing that comes out is uh, Daniel Willy Cat Santos. Okay, so we made it up. Unless it's like a Portuguese thing. A willy cat. I don't know. Maybe it's translated something. I don't know. Uh, let's see, willy cat. Julio Arce, Venezuelan, I believe, right? Uh, Arce, yeah, he's. Uh... Oh, is it Colombian or Venezuelan? I'm going to look it up. He is... Uh, let's see. He's from Queens, but uh, what's his background? I just... Because my fighter is Venezuelan, he's, we always support the Venezuelan crew together. I can't remember. I thought he was Colombian, but I might be wrong on that. Yes, he's a Colum- he's Colombian background. Okay. That's a more region. Yeah. So the woolly cat. Yeah, Arce gets it done here. I feel. Yeah, well, we'll see. We'll see what the Willy Cat brings to the table. I know you're you're intrigued by the nickname here. That's it. I like it. It's different. Why not? Made us look it up. Trying to think if there's any other news here. Uh, Kelvin Gastelum was supposed to be on this card. Uh, Had to withdraw against Drikas Duplessis. And uh, Drikas is uh, none too pleased about that, it seems. Yeah, I mean, he seems... uh... I mean, that was the second time, I believe, the fight got canceled. Is something wrong with Kevin Gastelum? No, or? basically what happened was Duplessis was supposed to be taking on... This is the, the weird part about it. He was supposed to be taking on Anthony Hernandez, who's still on the card. They replaced yeah. Duplessis with Fremd because Duplessis stepped up to face Gastelum, who lost his opponent. Um, his opponent was supposed to be... Who was he supposed to face? I can't remember. Gastelum had a, a different opponent, and uh, Duplessis ended up uh, stepping in. 
And then, like, a day or two later, Gastelum withdrew. So, like, Duplace, he's a little bit annoyed for obvious reasons. Uh, but according to Gastelum's manager, uh, he needs to have knee surgery. So, let's, hey. uh, let's see what happens. Well, I like watching Gastelum's so hopefully quick recovery. Agreed. And uh, Andre Muniz was uh, actually had uh, Driquez Duplessis thrown at him as an opponent for next week's card, but Duplessis said he was already in the midst of cutting weight, so he did not want to take that fight. So who knows what's mm-hmm. going on? It uh, seems seems interesting. It seems like it's, it's there's been a lot better with the COVID protocols, so it doesn't seem like as many fights are dropping out It seems like they've days. gotten rid of the COVID protocols. I don't know what the COVID protocols are <laughs> anymore. Obviously, it's just more like, hey, don't say nothing. We ain't testing and let's go, which I hope it is at this point. But... Uh, yeah, I, I mean, it just testing, doesn't seem like fights are dropping I think dropping they're still out. testing unvaccinated fighters, but I'm not sure. I, I haven't been able to get any clarity on the, uh, the the current protocols that the UFC are employing. They, they haven't been that forth, forthcoming with, uh, with that information. I'm trying to think what else there is here. I know Juliana Pena was saying all kinds of wacky stuff on the, the MMA Hour this week. Yeah, I heard a little bit of that show as well. <laughs> she's just... She's, Ripping Kayla Harrison, saying that Kayla Harrison's ducking her, ripping Ronda Rousey for saying, you know, say, saying all kinds of things about Ronda, saying that yeah, she's easy, like easy to go to pro wrestling. I don't know. She's just calling everybody up. But hey, you know, she's got the championship. She wants yeah. to make some money. Let's go. Yeah, I like what she said. She's like, oh, Kayla said she would come over to the UFC and beat me in two rounds. And then next thing you know, the next day she signs with PFL. She said she could. She was just dropping tr- trash talk, and I liked it. Yeah, but, I mean, she, she failed to acknowledge that, that Kayla had a matching clause with the PFLs. The PFL could yeah, match. Right. Even if she said, I'm going to sign with the We're UFC. We're trash talking. We can't, we can't bring all the facts in and trash talk. Yeah. Well, the, 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 the key of trash talk is you want to offend somebody. Like, she probably yeah. wants to offend Kayla Harrison. Of course. And have Kayla Harrison yeah. be like, oh, yeah, well, once this contract's done, I'm, I'm heading over to the UFC and I'll, I'll rough you up. Yeah, it's good. It just brings attention to both of them. So, I like it. Well, this is going to be a, a really fun card this week. I'm looking forward to it. Um, and we had a, a week off last week, Joe. Did you get anything? Get up to anything in your in your week off? Uh, no, just it's not a week off for you. The gym. There is no week yeah. off here. There is no week off with Bazooka, which is I mean, good. On Saturday. What did you do on Saturday night? Um, went to bed early, <laughs> and uh, yeah, because the our Saturday morning training starts really early here at the gym. So like, I'm here starting to train by nine, and we don't finish till one. We we go really hard on Saturday. So the time I get home, I make dinner. Um, you know, maybe have a little bit of time with some friends and family for an hour or two, then I'm out by 11. So my big parlay every time there's a pay-per-view is will Bazooka Joe fall asleep by the co-main event is uh, probably going to be minus 500 that I fall asleep by the co-main <laughs> well, event. When you take a nap after you're done at the gym, you're probably tired. But then it ruins my schedule. I have to stick to a strict schedule because then if I stay up later, which means then Sunday I wake up later, which means I go to bed later on Sunday, which Monday my routine becomes ruined and I got to keep with my routine routine is more important and until the UFC pays me to stay up hell no I'm going to bed right at 11 o'clock and I'll watch it the next day yeah see it's not like you're you're not a guy like me who's attached to their phone and on social media all the time you can you can avoid spoilers 
Yeah, no, I, I would literally, even if honestly, like I watched so many fights and I was telling, I was trying to explain to someone the other day, I was like, I'm numb to fights. So it's not like I could, for some people, if you watch my, like, oh, oh my God, oh, and they start, and I'm like, I've seen this a billion times. Oh, the guy got knocked out again. Great. Good. I'm surprised it lasted that long. And a part of me, and I mean, sorry, people listening, but I look at, uh, I look at the fights a lot of times. I'm like, these guys suck. I mean, I'm sorry, UFC guys. Like when I see you guys strike for 15 minutes and I don't think your striking's good, I I can't sit there and be excited about watching 15 minutes of low-level striking in my eyes. So I'm just I'm gonna do a little bit of a pena here and talk a little bit of trash. But if the striking ain't good, I ain't watching it. And 95% of it is not that good, so I lose focus a lot of time. And uh, you have to be a very good fight. But I will watch the main three the next day for sure. I'm just picturing you sitting next to Todd Grisham and him going crazy for a knockout and you just getting on the mic and being like, like Todd, it's just a knockout. We've seen it a hundred times before. It's not a big deal. And Todd's <laughs> but like, he used to get oh, mad at God. me. But he got mad at me for that. That was one of his first criticisms of me. He's like, Joe, somebody just got knocked out. I'm yelling at 10 and then you're coming in at like a 2. But I'm like, I'm not excited. I don't know. Like, I've seen this before. It wasn't even a good shot. You're going crazy. So now I've had to pretend a little bit and get extra excited when it happens. What you but should I'm do so is just to try it. to match Todd's level of excitement um, and be excited for him rather than the actual thing that happened. Yeah, be excited for Todd that he's so excited. Yeah, I mean, I love his calls. I, I love listening back to his knockout calls because that's his moment to shine. As soon as the the knockout, that's the you know the play by plays time to kind of step up. Mm-hmm. But I think his so, criticism yeah. of you is that you're taking his ten and bringing it down to an eight. Like yeah, I'm, I'm slowing him down, so he wants to bring his energy down. So I have to keep him up and energetic. Yeah, so you Jeez. gotta you gotta you gotta bring it, Joe. Yeah, but again, I watched someone like even someone like my fighters were like, "Oh, are we gonna watch tape on the the thing?" I'm like, "No, we're not gonna watch tape because I'm gonna watch tape on your opponent and I'm gonna say they suck. So then we're just gonna go anyways. And I think you're a lot better. You're my person. I think people suck when I watch them on fights. But that's part of my Chemaev when I fought, right? Like when I was fighting someone with 80 professional fights." Everyone was like, oh, is this guy good? I'm like, no, he sucks. I don't know. Everybody sucked to me. So that's how I kind of made myself more confident. Yeah, that's not so, very good coaching, sorry, Joe. you got to get somebody in there that's going to be able to just really you know, pick apart what they're going to be bringing to the table. Yeah, but my mind is we're universal. You know you're trained well, and that's it. They suck. Everybody <laughs> sucks when I watch them. Yeah, you're on something. They gotta today, be, Joe. but they gotta be really good. No, but I'm, I'm honest. Like, I mean, I'm sorry. I, you're talking about like if you're a jujitsu master. Like, I know so many multi-level black belts. You know, when they watch MMA grappling, they're bored because to them it's not good. You know, it's not. Like, I get excited when I see Matt Brown and Barbarina go nuts and try to... Okay, I'm, a, I'm entertained. You've entertained me now. But when you're trying to do a technical fight and you're not that... You're a grappler trying to strike for 15 minutes, it's like, okay, like, how excited can I get for that? You know, even when you land something, I was like, eh, seen it a billion times. So how times. many fighters in the UFC are you impressed by in terms of their striking? Uh, I don't know. I would say of one hand, probably. He, really? That, that's it? Yeah. So who should I be One looking hand. at? I mean, obviously, I'm guessing you're going to say like I like Pereira. my Izzy's, my Israel. Ferreira's. <laughs> um, I like guys who, you know, they have to have good finishing abilities. I get excited for. Like, I mean, someone like I wouldn't say he's elite of elite, but watching someone like Michael Chandler's fun because he hits hard. He shifts his footwork. You know, I like kind of that kind of style, too. Um, I like guys who, who I like Bobby Green's style. He always entertains me. I would put Bobby Green in the top five. I, I like Bobby Green up there. Um, again, Pereira, Adesanya. Um, 
who else is up there? I would have to really think. Can you think of anyone who really stands out? Like even uh, Michelle Pereira is like, it's okay. But then it's like you're gassing yourself up. But then when I watch him, like, where's your jab? You're, you're kicking blindly. You're missing all these kicks. If you would just jab before you kick, then maybe one, two, then throw your left kick. I was like, then you would land more. So his entertaining is kind of gets frustrating to me because he's not setting it up properly. What about like Wonder Boy? Wonder Boy's in that mix? I would say old Wonder Boy maybe. He doesn't now it's a little bit more too hesitant for me when he when he goes after it. I think it's great. But uh he's too defensive to like for me to get overly excited to watch. But I like watching his technical side and I think it's it's better than most because I'm watching for those little small details. Aldo? Uh old Aldo, yeah. New Aldo's a little too boxing focused for me. Yeah, what are the leg kicks? It makes you angry now when you watch them. Yeah, it's, I, I get angry. I get, I oh, get what about anxiety Jan? watching. Piotr Jan's got to be on that list. He's up there. He's growing on me. I, I need to see. I think he got a little too hyped up in the last previous fights. Everyone's like, oh, the way he moves. And he's like, it's good. He shifts. He's great. But I need to see a little bit more. But I, I can see him being on my top five. He'll get there. <laughs> That's He'll what he's working there. for hey, this weekend. I'm honest. You got to get there. I, I'm not just putting everybody... You know, you got to earn my respect, and when you earn it, you got it. But uh, I'm very selective on uh, that top five. One, yeah. week, one week when we uh, don't have an event, we should just do your top ten strikers in MMA. We should do a yeah, show I'd on that. Yeah, I'd have to think about it. I don't even know if I'd be able to pick ten. You'd have to do I, homework. I don't even think I can pick ten. I would have a hard time, like, picking ten. I'd have to look at each division, think of each guy, see who excites me to do it. Like, I like, I think Connor's great. I think Connor McGregor. And, and the reason I like Connor is because he'll use timing, he'll catch you coming in, and he finishes you. And I think the way he goes after the finish, I like that style as well. I would put Connor up there. All right, cool. Well, yeah, we're going to have to look into this. Yeah. Um, because I was doing my prospects list, and I, like, I think there's really, like, a short list of four prospects that maybe even five like i would say connor john jones chimaev maybe ronda and maybe henry cejudo ronda yeah but even yeah. cejudo took a while for him to really answer yeah. he didn't potential. have that hype right off the start no. connor would be connor might be the closest example yeah because now, he was coming in and starching people of beating dustin poirier and beating like really tough opponents yeah. Who did Robin Black have? You never mentioned. Well, it's weird. Like, after the fact, now he's starting to mention John Jones and McGregor. But when we shot our segment, he mentioned Marlon Reich, Justin Gaethje, Holly Holm. And who was the fourth that he mentioned? Oh, and, um, I can see maybe Gaethje, but he's looking at Gaethje almost the way I look at it. Gaethje was a champion in, in the World Series of Fighting. Like, it's a major promotion. It's not a prospect. Yeah. But it's still, come on, it's World Series to UFC. That's, I still look, think of my CFL to NFL example. Right, but it's not that he wasn't UFC caliber. That like he kept re-signing. He was making good money there, so he kept he's stuck with them. He could have been in the UFC like three years prior. And then, yeah, that's true. And Holly that's Holm, true. like Holly Holm was she, she had like a split decision win over Raquel Pennington in her first fight. Like what? What about Prohaska? Pro, he was a champion in he was a champion in, in Russia. So, but the way he came now, yeah, the way he's example, doing it now, man. he's got a title shot. A how example. many? How many fights has he had in the UFC? I think just two. Just the Reyes fight. Yeah. And um. And now he's got the title yeah. fight, right? So that could be even more impressive than the others. But again, based on what you consider a prospect, right? Yeah. What he did before. But he could, he could be one that we're not talking about. Right, yeah. I mean, Prokhashka. I mean, the thing is, if you were following Asian MMA and the Asian MMA scene, you knew Yuri Prokhashka. Like, he was rising as the, one of the biggest promotions out there. And he was, like, the guy there. So, oh, But look at Brave, though. Brave is, in the Middle East, the biggest organization. That's, true, and that's where Shemaev came from, right? So, and Shemaev yeah. came there. Like, when, he wasn't when a champion I had, there. He fought, like, three times there. 
But I had a fighter who fought for Brave at the time, no longer with me, Tariq. But Tariq, when he was fighting there, everything was about Shemaev, Shemaev, this guy's Shemaev, this guy has much Shemaev. Like there, he was already being built up there when he was fighting. So I guess they knew at that point how good he was. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's tough because you need those organizations to get into the UFC. And there was a clip that surfaced this week from like five years ago at one of these UFC Q&As with Brian Stan. And Brian Stan was asked like, who do you think is like going to be a, like a, I don't remember what it was, but like, who's the top prospect? And he was like, well, the top prospect right now is probably not with the UFC. He's this guy training in Sweden with Alexander Gustafsson, his welterweight. I don't remember his name. This was like five years ago before Shemayev had yeah. even debuted. That's awesome. You, you know, Brian Stan's probably one of my favorite commentators that they had. He was great. He, I put him still as one of my favorites. I think he was uh, very intellectual. I think he was very technical when it came to things. I liked his delivery of his thoughts. I thought he was one of the best commentators. Good interviewer too. Good, good post-fight interviewer. Great. Very yeah. sharp guy. Um, yeah. Very presentable. My... Like good presentation as a commentator. Looked the part. Yeah. Right. Like perfect. And now he's what? He's like a, a CEO of yeah, some big know. company. Making more money than what he's doing now. Yeah, like the guy's too smart. He's intelligent. The way he talked, like I really, really enjoyed his commentary when he was on. And he would call the fights with Todd, so I had Todd and him together, which was kind of cool for me to to oh, kind of have UFC, my. Oh, the UFC, mean? Yeah, when yeah, they when they both Todd only called like three or four events in the UFC, didn't he? I think so. And yeah. then he did his bad call on Sakuraba, yeah, that and was he a, said he butchered that it, and then and that was it. And then uh, I can't believe that's all. That's 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 all it took to get rid of like a guy like. Todd, who's so talented, like such a so good. No, I don't, at I don't think that was the reasoning. What it was, it was some other. I don't know the exact reason, okay. but uh, yeah. But I mean, it was. I think Todd still would have been perfect for them. Oh, he's he's you awesome. Know? Todd is one of the. You know what? The thing about play-by-play in in this sport, there are so many good ones. Like, Moro is fantastic. Mm. Um, Grisham's fantastic. I think the Sean O'Connell's fantastic. Um, who does who's play by play for Bellator's Moro? Um, and you've also got uh, well, they don't use Goldberg anymore. They use um, Mike Grandy, who's, who's very, or Sean Grandy rather, who's very good. Um, of course, John Anik is unbelievable. Um, I think Fitzgerald, like all the guys in the UFC, are awesome. Uh, yeah, I just think it's different on your personality. Like Moro, for example, is so different than John Anik. Right. Right. John Anik lets the other guys talk. Moro ain't gonna let you know DC and Paul Felder talk. Morrow's going to control the mic. He's going to control the narrative. Morrow is just, he's the, the focal point of the show a lot of times. Where, like, John Anik lets the fighters be the show a lot of times. So they're different. I mean, a lot of people like Michael the Voice, Shavalo, the the 1FC. He has all those one-liners. Good night, Irene. <laughs> Some people will be like, that's stupid like you know i hate those stupid lines but someone like me an old school Jap- japanese style and and fan and like lynn hart the uh yeah. that you know that uh, uh the announcer hart, yeah. ah, she lenny, starts yeah. yelling lenny hart, lenny hart one yeah. of my favorite you know i even have uh, a recording i got her to record my name being said because i loved it that <laughs> i loved it that much and she goes bazooka joe so she does like a huge thing because but that's my style that I like. Some people don't like it. So I think it's preference, really, when it comes to your, your commentators. Although she's not really a commentator. She's in ring. She's ring announcer. An announcer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think the Still, ring announcers are all very good, too. Yeah, they all are. Tim Hughes, I'm telling you guys, I say it every time. Tim Hughes is fantastic. He's great. Easily one of my favorites. Great. 
Bruce Tim Buffer's Hughes great. Is my Michael favorite. Buffer's yeah, those great. Those are good, but I would put Tim Hughes up there with those guys because Tim Hughes is very, very good. Mm, the way you. he announces, the way he projects his voice, like he to me is my favorite. And I'm not being biased because he's a good longtime friend, I mean, but he really is up there. Yeah, I'm not because I really, literally like him. I'm trying not to. <laughs> taking my personal relationship with him out but i really think he's one of the best all right joe i know you gotta get going i've got to uh, interview hamza shemaev in about an hour or so uh, what is who's he come on <laughs> make him wait show him you're the big dog around here Aaron. make him wait yeah i have a feeling that's probably not going to go that well for me but uh, okay. i do we appreciate the advice but we can talk trash here and then when you see him you're like oh i was excited i came on early but we can talk to trash here yeah i'm excited to speak with him i He's yeah. an intriguing guy. My last interview with him didn't go that well, so I'm hoping that this one goes a little bit better. Yeah. Maybe try, like, maybe something personal can get him going. He's probably, I don't know. Have you thought about anything? My last question for you. Um, well, he loves, like, he talks about his relationship with his mom, which I think is really interesting. Like, he just, he, like, he just does everything for her. He's very, like, he talks about his humble beginnings and how she did everything for them and things like that. Like, I, th- I think that's very interesting. And also, just how, how him and Darren Till became so close is just interesting to me. Yeah. Yeah. Because I just feel like he's one of those guys that I think if you can open him up, he'll be that much better from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll try it. All right, Joe. Ooh, okay, buddy. We'll, we'll talk to you we'll next week. We're recap UFC 273. And we'll see you then. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.